Welcome to the Breaking the Stars podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. If you're in college or know someone in college, you probably know someone that has changed their major, wasn't sure what they wanted to major in, and sometimes never even figured that out by the time that they graduated. Today's guest, Pavan Ravi Potty, definitely fit that category and talks about how friends and family led him to the decision to break into tech despite being a Bay Area native. In addition to that, he talks about how his experience in corporate sales and customer success uh, taught him uh, the non, some non-technical skills that made him a successful solutions engineer at GitHub. And he also talks about the program that he went to uh, that helped him get the skills to actually become a software engineer. It's an amazing episode, and you know, part of the reason why we started this podcast is not just to share these stories, but also so that you guys can have resources that you can go to, and if you want to check them out, the ones that we recommend that you can use at your own discretion, you can go to breakingthestars.com slash resources, and if you're really, really inspired and want to take it to the next level, anyone that you know has asked us for coffee or wants to sit down for advice, we always recommend going to the breakingstars.com slash challenge uh, website because that is uh, where you can go in order to uh, let us know what you actually want to do and learn how to tell your story. Uh, so without further ado, let's break in and um, get into the story. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timo Meister, and this is the Breaking the Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so we're sitting here at the Hack Reactors Alumni Lounge. It's 6.30 p.m. on a Tuesday, and while most people are at a happy hour getting drinks, we're out here talking about breaking into startups. Arth, please introduce our guest. Thanks, Timo. Today, we have Pavan Ravipati, who is a solutions engineer at GitHub. Previously, Pavan worked as a full-stack engineer, and before that, he was in corporate sales. So before we begin, Pavan, could you tell us a little bit about where you're from and what you were up to before starting in tech? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I've been in the Bay Area since I was about 13, East Bay local. And yeah, I've gone into tech after doing my own startup for a couple of years. Before that, I was in school over at Cal. And been in tech ever since I was about 23 years old, 28 now, so the last five years. Nice. Awesome. What were you studying at Cal? I studied basically film as well as like a wide breadth of just other classes that I was really interested in. Took almost finished a CS minor, almost finished a entrepreneurship in tech minor. But yeah, I just took a, like a really wide assortment of classes while I was there. Nice. Nice. And so how did that lead you towards getting into tech? It sounds like you kind of have like an arts background and then you want to start a startups. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear about that. Yeah, I think a lot of it was because I had family members who had been in tech since the 90s and had built successful companies. And being in the Indian community in the East Bay, especially Fremont, a lot of my friends' parents were in tech. A lot of them have built companies. And I was just really inspired by that, especially coming from Atlanta before I actually moved over to the Bay Area. You know, back there, we kind of had like what I saw as a limited set of opportunities. I didn't really know anyone that had built their own company. So when I came over here, I was really impressed by that and just kind of enamored with the idea of doing it myself. That's awesome. So uh, what did you start? What was your first job out of college? Just curious. So my first job out of college was the one that I kind of made for myself. 
me and four friends decided to start a company and we were really interested in 3D printing technology. So we wanted to build a 3D printing vending machine that mechanical engineers could use to print out their final projects for their classes. That's awesome. And uh, when you guys were starting that, what was your role on the project? Kind of what was your contribution? Yeah. So my friends were far more technical than me. So I was basically the person running around making sure that everything stuck together. I was doing sales. I was making sure that we had some kind of money coming in so that we could afford to pay rent and pay for food and stuff like that. And yeah, basically anything that was customer facing, anything that had to do with sales, anything that had to do marketing, writing up stuff. Um, I even made our first website, even though I really didn't know how to code too well at that point. Basically anything that needed to be done, I, I did it. Awesome. Awesome. And so you know, a lot of people are in this position where they, you know, about to graduate college and deciding whether they should work for corporate or start their own thing. It sounds like you took the start your own thing route and friends were really important and you figured out how to build a website. So how did you go about that? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely what I would say is if, if you're really thinking about doing a startup, I would say do it with people you really, really, really like. The only reason that I did it right out of school was because my four friends were like my best friends in college. And all of them were extremely talented. And to answer the second part of your question, like I think you asked me, how did I figure out how to make a website? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you're around friends that are way more skilled than you, at least for me, I kind of had this like inferiority complex where I was really driven to learn about things that I just had no idea how to do. And so we needed a website when we launched to actually collect email addresses from people who wanted to print things through our printer. So I just did a lot of Googling, honestly. I watched a little bit of Code Academy, or I did a little bit of Code Academy to figure out how to structure an HTML page. I also figured out how to use my console pretty early on. So I just looked at the structure of other pages and then looked for pages that were similar to the landing page that I wanted to set up. And I basically just copied it and modified it a little bit. Yes. So I guess it is true when people say you are the average of the five people that you're closest with. It sounds like starting a company with three or four of your friends who are super technical kind of transfer over to you and you had the curiosity. I'm sure you also went to them for help if you ever got stuck. What, what would you say were your, some of your biggest struggles in um, starting a company right out of college? Yeah, that's definitely 100% true about being the average of your five closest friends. And they definitely like lifted me up and I hope that I lifted them back up equally. But the struggle with starting a startup right out of college is you have no credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you're 22 or 21 in some cases. And you know, everybody kind of looks at you and is and asks, you know, what have you guys actually accomplished so far? And so that's a little bit challenging to overcome. But what we found is, I mean, we, whenever someone pushed back on us and, you know, didn't really believe in us, we just hustled even harder for lack of a better term. I mean, we applied to a bunch of accelerators. We applied to any kind of funding that we could, or any kind of funding, like interview that we could possibly get into. And most importantly, like this is probably the funniest story from that entire time. But like we really needed money because we were just dead broke and no one was really buying our product. And I remember that we had some spare LED light bulbs in like one of our closets and we took them and we literally knocked door to door. And I was trying to sell light bulbs to the probably very annoyed people in Berkeley. And we just did whatever it took. I mean, that's really the hard part about starting something right out of college is that you really have to be willing to do whatever it takes to make sure your team sticks together and that you guys are getting closer to your ultimate goal. Yeah, yeah. And and I've heard a lot of stories around where like the applications or like the attempts to get funding is kind of similar to breaking into like getting your first job. And so like when you went through the funding process, like how many applications did you send out? How many times did you get rejected? And you know, what was that process like? Yeah. 
Yeah, I can definitely talk about that. So we leveraged UC Berkeley as much as possible. Pretty early on, we got into Berkeley's accelerator called Skydeck. And that was only because we were in a class where we had to compete against other people in that class to try and get into that accelerator. And we were the only undergraduate team to ever get into that, ever get into Skydeck. But we were kind of like, we were in there, but we weren't really funded by them. So we got like free office space, but we weren't really funded. But that actually opened up a bunch of different opportunities. So we had a lot of people in that co-working space. We networked with all of them like to the best of our abilities. And we meet another team with a person that had been through Y Combinator before. And after getting to know him, getting him to advise us on our project to the best of our abilities or to the best of his abilities, we got to know him really well. And we asked him for a recommendation to interview at YC. And he gave us that recommendation. So then once we got that recommendation, we worked really hard on our application. Ultimately, we were called in for an interview. We didn't get accepted, but that whole process was just all about, or even getting to that step of getting an interview and sitting across the table with Paul Graham and the other people that were a part of YC at the time. It was all about just networking, putting yourself out there and just asking for favors, even though, even when it didn't seem realistic, like people would actually give you that favor. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds like you learn a lot from those rejections, even though you didn't get accepted. And, you know, you and I, we all talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, can you share like some of the biggest lessons that you learned from that, even though you didn't get accepted? Yeah, totally. So we sat across the table from Paul Graham, Jessica Livingston, Trevor Blackwell, and I think Robert Morris. And, you know, having like read up a lot about entrepreneurship, about YC and tech and all that, I walked into that interview room and I was just super hyped to meet these people that I really looked up to. And what was funny was we actually brought in a working demo of our 3D printing vending machine, but on basically wheels. My co-founder, Richard, literally took like a cart and put our entire thing on top and we rolled it in. And we had this really gimmicky idea of printing out the Y Combinator logo as our demo was going. And what was really funny about that was that Paul Graham was just hyper-focused on our demo and wasn't really like... It didn't seem like he was really listening to us. And then at the very end, he picked up the YC logo or the Y logo off of the hot plate and then pointed at us and basically asked us like, why did you build this? Right? So the actual interview, like it was pretty devastating. Like I was like, oh man, we just got turned down by, you know, basically our heroes. But then later that evening, he sent us a really detailed email about like why they chose not to fund us. And the, the main reason was that we were chasing an industry where the cost of production was actually decreasing with time because access to 3D printing and the cost of 3D printing per unit was falling very rapidly. And he said that since that's the case, people aren't going to be willing to spend money and pay a premium to use your vending machine when they could just go and buy a $100 3D printer and get their return on investment with maybe 5 to 10 prints. And so that was a really, really good business lesson. And frankly, it saved us a lot of time because if we had kept chasing that product, he was right. Ultimately, we saw you know a $100 3D printer come out less than 12 months from that interview time. So yeah, the lesson was find a market where you know, you're basically going to be making things cheaper for people to use, but that's not that... I guess the cost of production doesn't decrease over time. You should look for something like that. Yeah, that's awesome. So it sounds like it was sort of a blessing in disguise, how you learned a lot. You got to network, you connect with a lot of mentors and got the opportunity to interview at YC. So I guess, where does this lead you next? So you're a few years out of college, you're around the Bay Area, like what's your next move? Like what what did you decide to do? Yeah. So we continued on for another or I continued on with my team for basically another year or maybe a little over a year from that interview. 
And we continue to try different things. We try to do 3D scanning and this sort of thing. But ultimately, like I really needed to make money. You know, living in the Bay Area is not cheap, as we all know. And so I decided to try my best to break into the tech scene. So I started applying to a bunch of jobs that I thought my skills were suited for. And I applied to a bunch of uh, different sales roles. Nice. So did you end up breaking into a sales role at a startup or a big company? Yeah. Well, what was good about that experience was that I definitely shot high and I looked for corporate sales roles right out of the gate. And pretty much at every place that I applied to, I was rejected after... I would get through like to an in-person interview, but then I would be rejected at the actual interview stage, except for this one company called ClearSlide, where I had come in for a corporate account role and I'd gotten a referral to that role through my friend. And you know they really liked me, so they took a chance on me and they basically said, hey, we don't think you're necessarily ready for the corporate sales role just yet, but we'll bring you in for a customer success position. And then you know we'll reevaluate in 12 months to two years. So you had to be willing to accept something lower in order to break in um, and then grow. Definitely. Definitely. And I was, you know, I was definitely skeptical about that in the beginning because I thought, you know, I had door-to-door sales experience and I thought that I honestly felt like a little entitled for a full cycle sales role. But looking back, it was the best thing that could have possibly happened coming in at the lower level. That's awesome. And what was the sales interview like? So it was four rounds and Basically, I met with all the people that would have been my... I met with the person that would have been my manager, the person that would have been my director, as well as two senior people on the customer success team. And they asked me a bunch of questions about my background. They asked me why I decided to start a startup, what that experience was like, why I was leaving that startup. And they also asked me about any kind of sales experience that I had before, any kind of customer-facing experience that I had, and this sort of thing. They also just asked me... I mean. Since it was an entry-level job, they also just wanted to get to know me as a person to see if I was a team player, see if I could work within a larger team. So were like most of the rejections because of lack of experience or was it because of a case study rejection? Or It was universally because of a lack of experience. Like the other places that I had gotten further in, like I got pretty far with a couple of other large software companies. And once it came down to the interview phase, it would have me do a mock presentation, which was fine because I had a lot of experience with mock presentations. But post the interview, they would pass me up for someone who had at least two years of experience. Cool. So it sounds like through networking or through this referral, you got a position at this company. Can you just tell our listeners, what does the customer success role entail? And then how did that position you to transfer into sales uh, later on? Yeah. Customer success was the best learning job or job for learning that I had ever had because it was all about driving adoption for your platform with your customers, right? And the idea in SaaS or the software as a service industry is if you can have really high adoption, then you don't have to worry about renewals as much and your attrition rates are going to be very low. And again, in SaaS, it's all about maintaining a high annual recurring revenue while reducing your your attrition so that you can build on that base of ARR year after year after year. And customer success, what I would do is I would reach out to customers that were paid or were in trial with ClearSlide. And I would try and get them to learn how to use the product to fit their own unique sales cycle and coach them on how they could better use ClearSlide to basically close more deals. And we would keep an eye on their adoption statistics to see whether or not our calls were effective. Awesome. So you spent some time in this role and then 
at some point you decide to get more technical, right? So what was your kind of thought process? Take us back to that moment where you felt like, what were you feeling and what pushed you to start learning how to code? Yeah. So my journey at ClearSight was a little bit beyond just the customer success thing. So what happened was over the course of a year and a half, I got promoted up to being an SDR, which is a sales development rep. And then again, I got promoted into corporate sales. And once I was in corporate sales and I had a full picture of how the entire sales cycle worked, I really looked back and I said, okay, I feel like I've kind of mastered the skill set at this level, or at least I've become proficient at the skill set. And then I looked back and I thought about my startup and I decided, you know, I had enough of a financial runway. I had enough, I definitely certainly had enough interest in becoming more technical. And I had just a million ideas that I wanted to bring to life. And so I think maybe six months or seven months into me being a corporate sales rep, I decided, hey, it's time for me to go back, double down on my tech skills so that I can take a stab at being entrepreneurial again. Mm, Awesome. So what were some of the resources you used to start learning how to code? So I definitely, in the beginning, I think I could have been more efficient. I initially, because I had taken a few computer science classes at Cal, I wanted to, my tendency was to look for more academic resources to learn how to code. So I was looking at MIT's open source classes. I was looking at Cal's open source classes and Stanford's classes. And I took a bunch of introductory classes via those platforms. And they were definitely useful, but they weren't as effective as what I did afterwards, which was starting to apply to boot camps. And I applied to App Academy, I applied to Hack Reactor. App Academy was a great experience because I had to get really practical over the course of, I think, a month when I was interviewing with them and learn how to code in Ruby. And they gave me a couple of projects that I had to do as well. And so I had to step away from being theoretical and just immediately learn how to code. I would basically take the challenge, look at what I didn't know, and then just Google and figure out how to you know, close that gap. So at that time, were you also doing as um, your full-time... Do you have a full-time job? And you were learning on the side or did you end up quitting your job and then devoting all your efforts to learning how to code? Yeah. So I tried to do it while I was working full time and that ended up being not super effective. And so I had to make the decision to take a big risk and quit mm-hmm. my job, which is exactly what I did. I quit in, I believe, July and I started aggressively interviewing with boot camps at that point. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So how did you stumble upon Hack Reactor and what was the ultimate like application process like? Yeah. So I did some Googling on which bootcamps were the best. And I was just looking through Yelp reviews and independent student blogs and this kind of thing. And once I found Hack Reactor, I just I found a lot of information about Hack Reactor. And I really liked what I saw. I thought it was going to be... Or I kind of had a really good sense that it was going to be a solid program. And so... Ultimately, I didn't get into App Academy. And so I had to, I started the Hack Reactor process like maybe a week before I found out that I didn't get into App Academy. And I had to learn JavaScript at that point. But honestly, it went a lot faster because I had already gone through the App Academy process. Hmm. Awesome. So then once you get to Hack Reactor, like what was your experience like? What kind of things did you, what surprised you when you, when you enrolled? And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about what you learned. Um, yeah, once I got to Hack Reactor, I think what, surprised me was just how extremely intelligent my peers were. I was just really blown away by that. Like Everyone who was with me was very motivated to learn how to code. A lot of them had very impressive backgrounds. Actually, I would say a majority of them had like more impressive backgrounds than I felt that I had. And again, it was like one of those unique situations where you feel like you're in a group that you can be brought up by, right? Going back to the average of the five people you spend the most time with. 
And that was like the most delightful aspect of Hack Reactor. I think that the company has done a really good job of fostering that kind of environment for students. They have really good instructors and, and leaders and tech mentors and all this kind of thing. And they just made it really easy to have fun with your peers while learning, which was incredible for me. That's awesome. Did you ever get to a point where you doubted yourself? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Probably in the first week. I remember, <laughs> I remember pairing with one of our cohort members, Tony Zadi. And Tony had previously like been to another boot camp and he had like a lot of coding experience. And we redid an assignment that we were supposed to do in pre-course. And so I thought it was going to be really easy. And then Tony showed me these really interesting ways to do the problems that I hadn't even thought of. And I remember, I distinctly remember thinking to myself on the first, I think on the first day, man, I don't really know if I have what it takes to be here. People are really, really smart. And yeah, that was definitely a moment where I doubted myself. What did you do to overcome that doubt and like kind of like psych yourself out to get through that? So the good news is that Hack Reactor, I'm sure has, I'm sure recognized that a lot of people would feel that way in the first few days. So they gave us this talk on about imposter syndrome, I think in our first week. And I really connected with that. Like I had heard of imposter syndrome before, but it was like great to hear the school basically saying like, hey, it's okay if you're behind a few of your peers. Like that's not really, we don't expect you to be all at the same level coming in. But by the time this whole course is done, you guys will basically be at the same level. Can, can you define imposter syndrome for the people that don't know? Yeah. Imposter syndrome is when you feel like everyone else in your group or in your class or whatever is more skilled than you. And you feel like maybe you don't really belong in that role or maybe you don't really deserve it. And I definitely felt a little bit of that coming in. But then when we were given that talk about how we're going to leave with the same skill level, I was totally inspired to think that, hey, like if I really work hard, I can be as good as the rest of my peers. Yeah. So it sounds like you learned a lot. You did a lot of uh, projects, a lot of pair work with various uh, classmates. How would you say Hack Reactor prepared you for the job search and finally finding your job out of Hack Reactor? I think that they did a really good job. What happened was we not only did Hack Reactor do a really good job, we also like as a cohort studied a lot together. So we would go through Cracking the Coding Interview, which is a great book that I recommend to anyone who's going through technical interviews. We also did mock whiteboarding. We went through, I'm trying to remember the name of a couple of online resources where we went through like other questions, but they're escaping me right now. But basically any interview questions we could find or get our hands on, we would work on together. And then the school has a student outcomes department that has a mock technical interviews that you can do with hackers and residents, which was also extremely useful because it's more of a simulated environment where you're one-on-one one with someone in a room and they they kind of grill you on questions and they give you feedback afterwards, which was very useful. And you actually were part of the Hacker in Residence program as well, right? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and uh, what was your experience there? Definitely. So I had coming into it, I definitely didn't think that I was going to be a Hacker in Residence after Hack Reactor. But then when I talked to a couple of other Hackers in Residence and saw like how much their skills had progressed in the three-month period right after Hack Reactor... I knew I had to do it. And so when I joined Student Outcomes, what was great was that I got to practice every single day giving other people mock interviews. And so my interview skills were really sharp by the time I was done with that. And I'd also helped come up with unique questions for people, did a lot of basically like curriculum and resource building along those lines too. So it was just like three months of interview prep for me. Got it. And so how did you choose where you wanted to go after? 
So I was looking for a place where I could just learn as much as possible. So I went to a really small startup. I was the sixth, I believe, person on that team. And I was in charge of the entire stack. And I was in charge of a bit of infrastructure. And my first week at my job as an engineer, I had to set up our entire continuous integration, continuous deployment pipeline. And I worked with Jenkins for the first time. And I think that like it was a phenomenal experience going to a place where that was smaller, where I would have to do stuff like that. That forced me out of my comfort zone of what I knew. So getting that role was a piece of cake. You just kind of like, because you did the hacker in residence thing, you just kind of like waltzed into the startup or how, how did you get that? <laughs> definitely not. It definitely wasn't super easy. So I had applied to a bunch of startups through AngelList, through who's hiring on Hacker News, through LinkedIn, through my connections. I think that the place that I ended up working, which is Kindly Care, I think that they had been maybe my 10th interview in two weeks. So I got a lot of practice, by the way, of just doing a lot of interviews. And again, you know, those initial interviews were definitely bumpy. I got rejected by a number of them. I ended up, I think, receiving two offers by the end of that second week. But even though I had so much interview practice, no, it definitely wasn't easy. When I got to Kindly Care, though, like just having gone through those other like real experiences definitely helped me polish up my pitch and my technical interview for Kindly Care. Great. So a quick question about your experience at a small startup. There's a lot of, I guess, opinions whether or not coming out of a bootcamp, you should join a small team, a large team, go work for Google and be have all the resources that will train you and prepare you to be like a great engineer. So from your experience looking back now, what helped you learn the most and would you still do it again? Yeah. I think that it comes down to what you ultimately want. If you want if you definitely want your butt kicked a little bit and you want to grow really fast technically, I would say go to a small place. Because just by the nature of going to a small startup, you're going to have to do way more than you can possibly accomplish and things are going to be disorganized. But if you're the kind of person who can survive and thrive in chaos, like I would highly recommend it. Given my current job, I'm extremely happy that I worked at a small startup because I built up a very wide and deep breadth of knowledge. But I think on the flip side, I have friends that have gone to larger companies and have worked on really large projects. And I think that's very impressive too. You get a lot more structure. You get a lot more mentoring. And I don't think that it's any less of an experience. It just mm-hmm. depends on your own learning preference. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's really great advice. And so, I mean, you know, can you describe kind of like what you're up to now and what your plans on are for the future? I mean, you've done a lot of things. So we'd love to hear that. Yeah. So about seven months into being an engineer for Kindly Care, I realized that I wanted to take my skills of being in full cycle sales and combine them with being an engineer. And in fact, I kind of knew that even before like even before starting at Kindly Care that I, I knew that I wanted to do like a combined role. And so I applied to GitHub. And it was actually the only place I applied to while I was working because I just didn't have time. And I went in through a referral through a friend of mine, went through their interview process. It was a four-part interview process where I had an initial call with the manager just to see like if it was at all going to be an interesting fit. Then I had a technical call. Then I had a technical project where I had to answer a bunch of questions. And then I had a review of that project. And then finally came on site for a four-round interview. And GitHub has been an amazing place. I love GitHub. It's it's the number one place for open source software on the internet. And I love being able to help contribute to that in my own way. And specifically to answer your question, what I do is I work as a pre-sales solutions engineer. So that means that I field a wide array of technical questions from customers who are 
about to trial or are in trial with GitHub for GitHub's enterprise product, which is our on-premise version of GitHub. And what's great about my job is that people expect, because we're GitHub, for us to know a lot about DevOps and about modern software practices. So I love having to be up to date on those things so that I can then relay that to customers as well. So it's super interesting for me. Totally. So you worked as a full stack engineer for number of months afterwards, and then you decide to make this transition. So I'm curious, like you definitely have the background in sales. Do you think you could have gotten your current job without having gone through Hack Reactor? Without Hack Reactor, I think it would have taken a lot longer. I think I would have had to work my way through support to technical support, and then maybe sales engineering at another company, and then gone to GitHub because it is more of a mid-level role, right? And I think that doing that pathway would have taken me maybe three to four years at best. And Hack Reactor took me you know, roughly a year if we're talking about all the prep and applying. And then since I did Hacker in Residence afterwards, and since I also taught Reactor Prep, you know, that entire experience was like a little under a year. So yeah, I think that Hack Reactor was, a, for lack of a better way of putting it, it was a great hack to get into GitHub. That's awesome. So where do you see yourself in the next few years, now that you're in a technical like sales role, do you want to stay in sales and kind of get deeper on the technical side or pursue entrepreneurial ambitions at some point? Yeah. Yeah. The great thing about being a sales engineer is that you can go into a lot of things afterwards. So I think in the near future, like I just want to build my skill set within my current team and really be a trusted resource for either a specific vertical. Like I'm really interested in the finance vertical. So I'd love to be able to speak to how GitHub Enterprise applies there and really be a trusted resource for that. Or I know some of the members of our team really get deep into the weeds on things like continuous integration, continuous deployment, or infrastructure, or orchestration, or any other wide number of topics. So over the next couple of years, I just really plan on focusing on getting better at a segment of the industry for my job. Maybe after that, like I know of other sales engineers that have gone into product development, that have gone into enterprise sales, that have gone into more of a travel-based solutions engineer role, sales engineering role. But to be honest with you, I haven't really thought that far. Awesome. Well, it's a great story. And uh, we're about to do a lightning round, Timor. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about it? So we're at a part in our interview when we do the lightning round. So basically, we're going to all ask you a bunch of questions. Try to give short answers, but at the same time, provide tactics, strategies, resources that you've used to help our listeners kind of follow the same footsteps that you have. So with that said, Arthur. Yeah. So imagine if you had to start over again and you were dropped in the middle of the city, you only had $100. What would you do? Oh man, I would buy a lot of LED light bulbs and try and sell them again. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's good. That's good. And so uh, we talked a little bit about frustration and how you overcame that. Was there any piece of music that you listened to or a movie that you watched that like made you feel like invincible to overcome that frustration? Yeah, definitely listened to a lot of Eminem. I read The Dream by Grobox Chahal probably 10 times. Uh, That's a really good book too to look at. Awesome. So kind of taking back to where you were when you were finishing up college and you were thinking about starting your own company or potentially looking at jobs. So knowing what you know now, what would be the one piece of advice that you would want someone else to know who are about to embark on this journey? You're your own biggest advocate. No one else is going to do it for you. Just because someone tells you no doesn't mean that someone right next to them won't tell you yes. You know, like it takes a lot of no's to get a yes. That's what I would tell you. Awesome. Nice. 
And uh, what is one thing that you fundamentally believed in that you changed your mind on after this process? Mm, that I knew everything. Uh, <laughs> I definitely, when I started, I was like, oh man, I know a lot about the world. And I realized very quickly that wasn't the case and that I had to learn a lot about the world. <laughs> got it. Got it. And finally, can you share uh, an online resource that you felt was the most useful outside of Code Academy that you mentioned already? Maybe Hacker News. Okay. I read a lot of Hacker News. That's pretty useful. Stack Overflow too. Yeah, nice. And to build on Ruben's question, if someone wants to break into sales or technical sales, are there any books, blogs, magazines that they should be reading right now? For sales, I would say... I'm really blanking on the names right now. Uh, solution selling. I would definitely say read solution selling. That's a good one for sales. Uh, it'll teach you a lot about how to like adapt a customer's needs to match your product. That's a good one. Great. Nice. And we'll include it in the show notes. Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks, Palin, for coming here. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Are you on any social medias or email? Yeah. The best way to hit me up is through my Twitter, which is PavZR. So it's P-A-V-Z-R. If you sent me or if you send me a tweet there, like I'll, I'll definitely respond to you. Okay, we'll awesome. follow you right now. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing this with us. We'll definitely include all the resources in our notes. And great story, man. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. It's been yeah. awesome. Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.